And I can only say that while the campaign is over, our work on this movement is now really just beginning. We're going to get to work immediately for the American people. And we're going to be doing a job that hopefully you'll be so proud of your president. You'll be so proud. Again, it's my honor. It was an amazing evening. It's been an amazing two-year period. And I love this country. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome to Polydex, an audio journal to be discovered centuries from now in the ashes of humanity's own engineered destruction. I was a comedian in New Zealand known as Tim Bat, and joining me as always, a political journalist who's contributed to Esquire, Rolling Stone, and our collective misfortune, Jeb Lund. Good day to you, Jeb. Good day, and, and I, I trust that you're well, and uh, and everyone is safe. Please, uh, I, I'm sure people vaguely know where you're from. Uh, hopefully, if they've been following the podcast, they'll know where you're from, and I, I, I'm sure they'd want to know that everyone's okay yeah we uh for context for those who haven't heard we've had a particularly large earthquake um overnight local time in new zealand uh it has caused a lot of damage there's two fatalities and down the south island that we know about so far um so i've just spent the morning checking in on on family and uh luckily all my friends and family appear to be fine but um, a little bit shaken as you can understand it's nice to know that somebody can have some good news coming out of a disaster yeah yeah we'll be okay we'll be okay luckily um or unfortunately in some ways new zealand's had a couple of goes at this so uh we're getting pretty pretty good pretty agile knowing what to do at any rate um this is uh well was originally a podcast set up to take us to the inauguration of hillary clinton really i mean that's pretty much how confident we were so i guess we need to open with a uh, an apology um i can't speak on your behalf jeb but i've been listening to all the other political podcasts i followed and that tends to be how people have um kicked off in this new era so uh hey we completely misread the tea leaves yeah i uh um well and this is something that i can i can go into more at another point the most difficult part of this is has been going to everybody I know who who have asked me steadily over the past couple of months. He's not going to win, is he? And I've I've you know always been able to come back with very quick examples of why that was extremely unlikely. And it's been really tough to go to each one of those people who is scared to death, or or at least extremely anxious, and who I kept saying like, don't worry. Yeah. Go. You know, I fucked up. You you were afraid and you were right. And, uh, and instead of spending those last two months thinking about what you could do, um, now you got to start at the beginning, like everyone else in the same, uh, state of shock. Mm. Yeah. It's been a really weird few days. And this is the first time that we've spoken, um, since the election result, I was kind of keen for us to get on the mic, uh, the morning after, but I honestly, the results affected me like emotionally, personally, a lot more than I was anticipating. And I've talked to a, a few of my friends here who are all a bunch of liberal, artsy people, you know, the types Jeb, um, and they kind of feel the same way. They were like unexpectedly affected um, by the result. And we've all just kind of been walking around in a little bit of a daze for the last couple couple of days. Yeah, I, uh, I, I really haven't done much of anything. I... Um yeah, this is. I, I guess probably the the number one thing I've done for the last couple of days is exchange text messages at three in the morning with people who also can't sleep and who say like, I, you know, I'll get these uh, these messages out of the blue like, uh, um, I just realized I spent ten minutes staring at a picture on my wall. <laughs> you know, I was mm. doing something and then I remembered what just happened, and and then ten minutes later I was still staring at the same fixed point and feeling nothing. Yeah. It's the way that I was explaining it to a friend of mine before is like, without getting overly dramatic, there are certain similarities between when someone dies really suddenly because there was no point where uh, 
I think collectively in our psyche, we got used to the idea that it could actually happen. So we never started kind of processing what it would, what the picture would look like afterwards and the actual reality that this, this could happen. And so when it did happen, it was kind of, we had to process both the possibility that it could happen and then the fact that it had happened and then shit, what happens now sort of all at once. And it was, it was just a lot of stuff to be um, thinking about all at one time that had never really in earnest been considered before. No, that's a really good analogy. And, and, uh, you know, I think there's also that, um, kind of bundled in with that is that, that sense of anger that you have where, you know, let's say you have a a family member who you never speak to and and you think, geez, I, you know, I really should write a letter or I should do something to, Mm. uh, to shore up, uh, this, this sort of, you know, incomplete or, or under maintained relationship. And then they die suddenly. And so you've got, you, you have not only the fact that you weren't prepared for them to go, but to a certain extent, you know, you were intellectually cognizant of the fact that, you know, it could happen anytime to anyone and you, you didn't do anything, which in, in yeah. you, can, you can frame that didn't do anything however you like. Maybe you didn't go knock on doors or make enough mm. phone calls, or maybe you feel like you could have donated more in some way. Or the other thing- Or maybe you didn't been, vote. Maybe you didn't vote, or, you know, the, the other one being that, you know, you didn't- um, you know, you didn't trust that that realization that things are that fragile, uh, and yeah, you, you, yeah. you you gave in too much to the inertia of this will always be here. And for me, that's what I'm maddest about. Is I, I am I have such a faithless engagement with American politics in so many ways that I let go of my cognizance of how much it can fuck me, and I got I got complacent about winning and and then um you know not not only do i have you know everyone who didn't vote or who voted for the wrong person and you know all these other things to be mad about i'm mad at myself for not trusting the 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 complete mistrust that has served me so well and been so Mm. insulating for most of my life we uh we're talking back and forth on the dms on twitter on actual election night and you were like really confident right up until basically the final bell as well huh uh you know yeah i i, I think i mean I, the first sense of doom set in pretty early but i kind of kept going and i think maybe because you were probably a bit maybe the 30th person who who would yeah. me or or texted yeah. me or called me and <laughs> at that point i was just in in that mode of you know, talking the passenger next to me on the plane down, like it's not going to crash. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think I just sort of had it automatic to roll out to you. Like, you know, we're, we're going to be okay. And, and, and of course I lied. <laughs> One weird thing that, uh, I've, I've it just seems to be some weird automated decision I've made. The biggest thing that has stuck with me, this, but there's basically been two big things that have just kept rolling around in my brain. Um, the first one is that there are going to be some very real victims of this election result, and of course there are there are people who lose out through any election result, um, but there are really going to be a lot of people who are very, very poorly affected by this decision, whether they get deported, lose their health care. Um, you know, whatever happens down the line through the schizophrenic policy decisions that we're going to see getting made. But the other big thought that has been rolling around in my head is um, we're really fucked on climate change now. And I haven't eaten any red meat uh, since the election result, which is this weird thing that's just happened. And I'm just trying to look for ways to start doing stuff, um, to start preparing, because... I can't shake this feeling that we can't trust the system anymore to really take care of some big systemic problems. And so it's really, truly is going to have to come from the bottom up. And I think I might be pescatarian now, which is weird because I fucking love red meat. I, I'm probably the wrong person to talk about this because I've, I've, you know, I have rarely let my my political convictions get in the way of my consumer choices. Um, <laughs> as an American, it's just the beef, the beef must flow, I guess. I, um, Where's I mean, the I don't, beef? Ask Jeb. I, I, you know, I, Jeb's I, wife. I don't own like a gas guzzling car or anything. And, um, but 
Uh, and, and well, and in, and in fact, in like my area, you know, if you wanted to take the bus 12 miles to downtown, it would take you two hours. So, you know, there's certain like, well, I'm just going to have a car uh, mm. here. Um, you know, and has, I, has there I been any, I was going to say like, any if, new thoughts if, that might change that though for you? Um, I mean, honestly, like as, as a Florida resident, um, my first thought is like, well, how do I split the difference perfectly between letting my property appreciate and then getting out before the signs of climate change are so manifest that it starts to depreciate the value of my property. Um, yeah. Because it, you know, it, it seems like, I mean, in, in, in my area, like y- you could safely live for another century, but uh, you know, I, I wonder, you know, in, in terms of like actual sea level uh, rise, but you know, the, the, the surrounding economic impacts and, and sort of cultural impacts on who is going to stay here, what is going to move here and what becomes sustainable here in, in a state that whose highest point is, I think, like 230 feet. Um, you know, those sorts of considerations. Shit, I didn't are, are, realize Florida, Florida was that low lying. You guys are really screwed. Yeah, I mean, I live like, I mean, I live, um, I want to say maybe 18 miles from the bay and I think I'm 100 feet up. You know, but that will be enough for a very long time. But if you live in Miami, uh, if you live on in a lot of coastal areas, that's not going to count. Downtown Tampa, uh, uh, which is a very lovely place, already floods during heavy um, storms, not actual tropical storms, just regular thunderstorms. Mm. Uh, our 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 emergency hospital <laughs> is right at the end of the bay. Um, and the only thing between it and the water is this small, slightly interruptive fill island. All sorts of things that are just sort of easily bowled over by any kind of storm surge. So, I don't know. <laughs> Can I ask, Jib, how are you feeling right now? Uh, I just want to go to sleep. I just want to go back to sleep. How long do you think that's going to last for? Forever? Oh, I don't know. So, like, okay, this is this is a longish sort of thing, and I don't know if I want to get into it. Do, do we want to take a break or just kind of keep going? Um, um, I think we'll, yeah, because you've got some sort of pre-prepared thoughts, but we'll we'll get into that after the break. But right now, I just kind of want to get a snapshot of your emotional state, which it sounds to me is kind of still quite numbed, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, the, my first reaction. I'm so glad and, I've got a political journalist on this podcast <laughs> to perfectly articulate the mood of the nation right now. I just, I just did a like, I, I just got really intoxicated for like two days. I mean, I, I still was reading and and digesting things and watching television, but. It was just sort of like, and of course, I mean, that didn't even help. I mean, that's that's one of those things I always find sort of funny is, you know, we're ingrained since childhood from watching uh, films and TV that when you're distressed, or, you know, somebody goes over to the sideboard and they, they, they pour two fingers of bourbon, right? And then somebody slams it down and they grimace and they kind of make that like bare tooth swallow, you know, kind of expression. Yeah. Um, and then they get on with it, right? And and like none of that shit actually works, <laughs> but you go and you try it because even if it's never worked in your life, and I really can't think of very many occasions on which being shatteringly drunk has made me actually feel better. Uh, but mm. you just go and do it because it's that kind of shorthand of like, well, this this tragedy's unfolded. That's too large. You know, the the enormity of it is too much for you to process. So I'm going to go over to the sideboard. I'm going to pour two fingers of bourbon. I'm going to slam that down, and then I'm going to keep doing that. And I'm going to sit behind my desk and kind of like put my things together. And really, all that buys you is that momentary. You know, you have a few hours of warmth and kind of fuck it, or maybe you disinhibit yourself so you can really kind of burn out some of that rage, or maybe you just wind up so overwhelmed by you know, alcohol and grief at the same time that you, you lose inhibitions enough to just weep openly. And then you wake up the next day mm. and you have a monster headache, but you've not really accomplished anything. And yeah. I, I think everybody did that for a couple of days. I did that for a couple of days and I'm still kind of in that, like, fuck me, what? Um, I, I don't think it'll last much more than a week before I, I get peevish and try and do something. But uh, I think everybody's at least allowed a week. I mean... Anybody who's still in their flannel pajamas underneath the throw rug on the couch watching um, uh, Julia Roberts rom-coms, and I'm not going to say that that's what I did yesterday 
three times. But uh, anybody still okay, doing I'll that? I'll say on, it. Like, I was talking to you <laughs> like, briefly uh, on the messages coming through on email. Yeah, like, but any, anybody who's who's doing that on Monday still, that's fair. <laughs> you, you get a week. <laughs> like, yeah, there's some people who are going to be out there, and, and whose first response is is you know anger and activism, and, and God bless them and more power to them. But uh, like everybody on every spectrum, you know, like or every demographic can just take some time and eat a bucket of chicken and you know, just Grubhub or seamless all their food for a while and not want to go outside. Um, it, you know, America will probably still look for the most part the same when they get out there and then they can reassess, but. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to feel something. Um, yeah. But then eventually you do have to pick yourself up. Uh, let's take a brief break. And I think in this, I'm actually going to play um, just to get us worked up because I feel like this has been very depressing and down in the dumps uh, a video that's been doing the rounds which you've likely already seen the entirety of if you haven't I can't recommend it enough Jonathan Pye is the character's name um, it's a British satirist uh, who is articulating some of the feelings of both people in America and the rest of the world who feel a little bit disenchanted with the performance of the left we'll be back in just a moment with some more thoughts from Jeb and I People like me won't listen. I, I did this. This is my fault. Fucking Donald Trump. The left is responsible for this result because the left have now decided that any other opinion, any other way of looking at the world is unacceptable. We don't debate anymore because the left won the cultural war. So if, if you're on the right, you're a freak. You're evil, you're racist, you're stupid. You are a basket of deplorables. How do you think people are going to vote if you talk to them like that? When has anyone ever been persuaded by being insulted or, or labelled? So now, if you're on the right or even against the prevailing view, you are attacked for raising your opinion. That's why people wait until they're in the voting booth. No one's watching anymore. There's no blame or shame or anything, and you can finally say what you really think, and that is a powerful thing. The Tories in charge, Brexit, and now Trump. And all the polls were wrong, all of them. Because when asked, people can't admit what they think. They can't admit what they think. They're not allowed to. The left don't allow them to. We have made people unable to articulate their position for fear of being shut down. They're embarrassed to say it. Every time someone on the left has said, you mustn't say that, they are contributing to this culture. Welcome back to Politics, a group therapy session conducted through the internet featuring myself, Tim Bat, and his self, Jeb Lund. Well, I mean, not to, not to start the segment on a, a contentious note, but I... I I listened to the whole uh, uh, Jonathan Pye. What, is it Jonathan Pye? Is that it? Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, his I, character name. I listened to his whole rant, and and I agree in part, and I, I strongly disagree in another uh, in others. You know, he says he he talks about the the counterproductiveness of shutting down certain avenues of debate and making people feel that certain things are unacceptable and. Um, I mean, there are all kinds of problems with that. I mean, like, at what point is the debate settled on whether blacks are inherently violent? or subhuman, right? Um, like at some point we can take all the science and go, no, you know, you can say that certain communities are more violent um, because there are all sorts of corresponding factors, but that there is no inherent genetic predisposition to being violent. And that's exactly what the alt-right and fuck the alt-right. That's a politically correct term. I don't know why we're using it. Just say neo-fascists. I like, it disgusts me when I see CNN doing this like this is some sort of like i don't know contemporary uh like adult alternative music version of nazism like it's dave matthews band for people who like swastikas fuck you right i'm but, not finish but, your thought sorry but like you know at some point th these people want to bring back uh you know they're they're attempting to mainstream a sort of uh softly sold eugenics of well, you know, look, uh, Asian students do disproportionately better on standardized tests than than white students. So uh, it just stands to reason that every race has its characteristics, and well, black people are violent. I, there's some point in the debate where you've mentioned the facts all you want, and then somebody just starts to bring it up, and you just go, "No, fuck you, you're done. We're moving on, right?" Because there's so much policy in the world that if we keep trying to litigate fucking 1861 to 1865 in America, uh, you know stuff like climate change that is going to have an immediate impact on, on us is going to get completely ignored, uh, which, I mean, it already did, but uh, I don't know. I, you know, th there are, there are points where you can stop uh, talking 
with people and listening to them. Um, because uh, you know, I, they, they I, just I, suck you down forever. Yeah, and I agree with what you're saying. I don't know where the real world line is for this and practicality, but there is a difference between letting people hang themselves by their own noose and and um, where we need to cut them off and stop them from talking. And I think that we've become quite accustomed on the left to silencing people, whereas if we allowed certain people to talk a little more, they would ruin themselves by the inherent stupidity of their own arguments. And I think we need to invite that a little bit more and invite a little bit more of a civil discourse in some areas, not in all, because like you said, you've pointed out a lot of great areas where we just do need to kind of all, all agree that we've settled something and, and move on. But I think there are some other spheres of discussion where if we just allowed these people to air their thoughts instead of silencing them immediately, they could be quashed by by the inherent stupidity of the argument itself it's the sunlight is the best disinfectant you know it's kind of that approach to but as i say i don't know where that line lies because with certain issues as well you do want to sort of draw draw a very strong line in the sand and say no no we've actually we've been through this we've discussed it this bit's done we're all kind of on the side of this thing now at any rate um I, well no I, I, <laughs> I get what you're saying but I, I feel like that's kind of like the john stewart principle all right where we'll take a ridiculous thing said by this representative and then we'll go through the file footage and we'll find another ridiculous thing that they said three years prior that contradicts this and that doesn't persuade people who want to believe in what the second statement is right no matter how hypocritical if they support that program they're not going to go ah oh, that's hypocritical i can't like it now i mean that was the journalistic program for the most part, for the mainstream media outside of columnists who felt, uh, you know, when you when you had r- regular reporters who felt circumspect about editorializing, they would do that thing where they'd take a screenshot of whatever Donald Trump just tweeted and then take a screenshot of something he tweeted a year before and, aha, uh-huh, you know, look, look how foolish he looks and now he's the president. But um, I think that there's a difference. There's a difference between how we treat the politician and how we treat the electorate so this is something i've been thinking about a lot as well we need to continue to hold trump to account and i think it's very important to ridicule him as well because that's important to do of any person in a high position of power but i think it's really important to separate out the treatment of the politician from the treatment of the people who voted him in because i think that there is a large maybe undereducated not all but a, a good portion of the people who voted for Trump, um, a, a set of people who don't, they're not exposed to different cultures in their life. They they haven't seen these people that they're afraid of. And if they lived in slightly more metropolitan, cosmopolitan areas, they would actually get used to the idea that we're all human beings and everyone's just trying to look after their family and make enough money to have a roof over their head, afford healthcare, have a car, and get on with their lives. But because they are so unexposed to different ideas and other people because they get told that they're racist, that they're bigots, that they shouldn't be existing alongside the rest of us. It makes it very hard for them. There's no space for people to grow in that environment. Yeah, I I mean, I I get what you I get what you're saying here. I was I was talking to somebody um, who sent me one of those. Oh, my God, what do we do now? uh, DMs and the, the first thing I thought of was uh, there's a book uh, called Bowling Alone uh, about the decline of shared uh, community spaces in America. And, uh, mm. and I was explaining it to him, you know, like for the most most of us who, who don't live in New York or, or San Francisco or, or Chicago, most of us, we get into a house bubble, you know, it has a yard. Uh, it's bounded on, on four sides by yard uh, or fencing. Uh, you know, we, we get into the uh, we, we exit our house bubble, immediately get into a car bubble, and then we drive to a work bubble. And then we exit the work bubble, we get in the car bubble, and we come back to our house bubble. And then we don't really have any means of interacting with other people. Um, and sort of, you know, bowling alone, what they talk about is stuff like, uh, uh, you know, Elks Lodges and Kiwanis and things like that, or, or bowling mm. leagues, or the decline of church participation. Things where yeah. within a community, you would just by dint of doing this every week, constantly 
um, you know, be exposed to the, the sentiments of people around you, uh, which, you know, does two things. One, uh, you know, it humanizes them and personalizes their fears or anxieties uh, mm-hmm. while also helping to allay them uh, because they're being exposed to something that should be antagonistic and, and simply isn't. Uh, I'm lucky in that I live in a community that is a real neighborhood and I know most of my neighbors uh, by name and, and I'm welcoming their their homes and, you know, I'd trust them to babysit my son um, or, mm. you know, I, would, I wouldn't hesitate to call some of them from work and say, I can't, you know, I can't get home, uh, but my son needs to be picked up. You know, could you do it? Here's the, you know, the, the code to get in my garage door, you know, please. Mm. Like, even though some of them are Trump voters, right? But, um, most people this don't have really that cool, anymore. Man. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, and, and it's I interesting you bring up sorry, church because I think uh, the rise in popularity of atheism has left this kind of gaping hole of the social aspects of church because it's a really important social institution or has been functioning as one and there hasn't been anything to fill in that gap no you're right and and every you know every four years we get another feature article about how the rise of of uh uh, the christian left is going to start eating into the margins of the evangelical right and you know i've been reading this story since 2004 and it right doesn't seem to be uh taking place. Although if, if this is something that interests you, I don't know nearly as much about it as, uh, uh, just recommend Liz Brunig on Twitter. That's B R U, uh, E N I G. Uh, she's very, very faithful, uh, Catholic and also, uh, uh, left of center activist, more democratic socialist activist, I should say. I've written it down. Um, Jeb, you've, you had some thoughts earlier that we were going to get to. Um, well, actually, I just kind of want to stay on this before I forget. Like, so, okay, I mean, yeah. Just that, because that rant is interesting, because it does, I mean, it brings up all these sort of, uh, you know, mutual antagonisms that are going on. Well, one of the things that I, I try not to, you know, it's, a, it's an argument or a metaphor I try not to drag out in columns more than once a year, but it, it, it's always relevant. Um, and, and it's this, making shit up is really easy. Um, as a political party and as a political tool, because what you do is you, you just say, well, fuck the evidence. I'm just going to contrive the evidence to support this ideology. I already believe in this tactic. I feel that we should choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the bonuses of, of this are, are one is immediate. The other one's down the road. The immediate one is you don't have to do any work. Right. Um, so yeah. I oppose the Dodd-Frank bill because frankly, I want uh, Wall Street to be to go gangbusters and do whatever the fuck it wants. So I'll just say that Dodd-Frank will actually create more financial crises, which is what Mitch McConnell and uh, several other leading Republican lawmakers did. Now, on its face, this is completely absurd. And if you actually look at the how the, the, the law would work, it was also absurd. But when you say something like that, suddenly everybody in the opposite side has to spend time articulating why that's wrong. So not only do they then you know, kind of re-inject your lie into the debate. But then they have to go to the effort of gainsaying it. And if it's something that's projected into the future, you can, you know, as stupid, right? They don't have any evidence. They can just say like, well, a bunch of people say it's stupid and it will be stupid, but nobody knows. So you, you again, you'll have people who support the argument going, well, but we don't know. It's hmm. irresponsible of you to make that prediction, which you can see happening with climate change. But the other thing is that if you have a message about how banking regulation should go, you've just lost it because you're busy explaining why something that's made the fuck up doesn't exist. And that is that is one of the prices of, well, we have to engage in a dialogue and make kind of every opinion feel welcome and not demonize someone for it. At some point, you kind of have to triage where your engagement is. Because yeah, the and longer I, look, you spend this, debunking, well, just I'm, I'm like one more sentence. Sorry, the longer yeah, you spend debunking, yeah. the more you surrender the creation of an alternate ideology and an actual message. So, kind of a like in what that longer monologue from uh, that Jonathan Pie guy was saying, like the left and, and Hillary Clinton didn't articulate really what they were for. Well, you know, in part that's because they were just going, well, Donald Trump is unfit to lead. But that's also kind of part of a macro trend of there is so much confabulated shit that exists within that kind of right-wing hermetic news audience that just trying to get people back to reality before to the present day before even arguing with them about what we should do about the future but just getting them to admit 
the existence of a mutually lived present day devours your time so much that you don't have message left. I just don't see in a democratic society what the alternative to that is because it's always going to be a spectrum, right? And it's not like, I I think very few people would, in fact, no one sensible would argue that all opinions deserve equal weight because um, me talking about the American banking regulations that are being proposed or the head of the Fed, you know, we have different weightings on that and so that should be treated as such. But to tell people that they are unentitled to express an opinion or an argument just seems untenable right so we've got to find where in that spectrum we lie and it feels like we're not in the right place at the moment yeah i i mean it's going to be such a judgment call with individuals and and individual antagonists capacity to educate themselves and, and listen to something um, there's all, there's, that, there's I'm also, not sure there's a programmatical way of doing it. Yeah, th- just quickly as well, there's another sort of angle to this, which is more what I gravitated towards in the Jonathan Pye video, which is this approach of civility to telling people that they're wrong. Um, I understand the power of writing people off and uh, when you need to, putting a label on something if someone's expressing a bigoted um, opinion and they're actually victimising a group of people who are vulnerable for one reason or another and it's important that we call those situations out as we see them but there's also power in being able to show people why they're wrong hearing them out and allowing some space for them to be able to learn why they're wrong and I think that the overwhelming approach at the moment removes any of that space and I guess this goes a little bit to what you're talking about as well which is that if we over engage in that we simply don't have enough time and resources and energy to engage with the actual policy of what we need to be getting done the actual politics of building a better society and addressing things like climate change Um, but again I kind of separate out the approach to there's a different way we should be treating the politicians who put themselves up there um for for this kind of behavior and the electorate the people who are supporting them and voting for them and i think we need to treat the electorate with a lot more civility and really attack the big figureheads of these ideas that's where the kind of vitriol can be directed in my mind and the people who are supporting them we kind of need to hear them out and correct them because democracy is fucking tiring and it's messy and I'm paraphrasing a Churchill quote, but it's a terrible political system until you look at all of the rest of them. But that's kind of the nature of it. It's hard slog, and you've got to... You've, you just have to hear people out. It is fucking slow and tiring. And that's something that Obama kept coming back to as well, that his whole presidency was about him very slowly moving the ball forward up the field. Mm-hmm. Well, this is... I mean, to, to paraphrase... Uh, you know, somebody else, uh, Alex Perrine, uh, formerly of Gawker, uh, had a, his pinned tweet, and it might still be his pinned tweet, is a a quote, you know, a quote tweet of of somebody saying, well, these people are doing this and this on Twitter. And his reply is, your mentions are not the election. Uh, And the the internet is a really great place. And and I owe being able to make money to it. Uh, I think you do too, to a certain extent. Um, uh, you know, it's a, like I owe a lot of my friends to the internet, but the people who are on the internet and arguing about a lot of things are not real. I mean, mm. th- they are real people, and when you meet them, that real person is very different different from the person behind the account. Totally. Uh, so, uh, you know, a lot of the what's terrifying about like, oh my god, how do I go out in the world and deal with these people? These people are are not legion. Yeah, uh, like you know. It, Maybe this is me trying to whistle past the graveyard a little bit, too, but I, I feel like a lot of, of the people who are super aggro, like, you know, let's burn the Jew sort of on on Twitter are a lot of 4chan kids who found the latest way to really upset people. Totally. Uh, really, and, and I uh, wish that the media would re- acknowledge that fact a little bit more because this cherry picking of 
a comment that was made by some Twitter account that they bring that artificial reality into the real world and report it as if a person said it. They're two very different things. Like you say, I'm so convinced that, like, if not a majority, such a huge proportion of these incredibly outrageous statements are just made by, like, bored kids who have found a way to really fucking push buttons of people online. And it, they don't believe a lot of the shit they're saying. They just see the massive reaction that they can get. It's like the definition of a troll. And it's fucking, like, super fun if you're into that kind of thing to see how you can elicit the maximum uh, response from people by bashing some keys on your keyboard. Yeah, or, you know, you can watch a couple of Clintonista writers uh, go absolutely ape shit at uh, slight perceived mis- misogyny from... Uh, or, or actual misogyny from some Bernie supporters and then just change your avatar to Bernie 2016 and suddenly yeah. start egging them on. And it's like, oh, every single Sanders. And, you know, and they're probably, I'm sure I can have a long conversation about this. A lot of those people yeah. were probably intelligent enough to know they were being trolled, but they also recognized an opportunity to yeah. push down the Sanders campaign uh, for their, their, their chosen uh, candidate. But um, anyway, like it, my, my larger point being that, for for the most part, you get out and meet these people. You're you know you're not going to have a, a hostile or terrifying uh, you know experience. And I mean, the, I I think often a, a, of my neighbors who you know they know what I do and they're they're like, please let's not talk about politics. Anytime we have like kind of a neighborhood barbecue or get together, and I'm like, sure, no problem. Yeah. Uh, and then and then they have a couple of beers and then they kind of sidle up to me and go, listen. So what's going on with? Uh, I, I heard about this thing in the news. What's the deal with that? And and I don't expect that I'm going to win them over, uh, but little by little, just by talking, I've managed to, you know, erode some of these really, really kind of paranoid fantasies, and and mm. slightly, you know, kind of start interjecting, you know, little concepts here or there that that they've become conversant in. I mean, they don't agree with me, you know. I, I don't expect to see them suddenly voting for you know Sanders 2020, but uh, you know, just being around. And being civil. So, do you not see that as an example, though, of them finding that space to be able to express an opinion which is kind of outrageous and they wouldn't do in the cold light of sobriety? And they finally find the social space and they know you and they can trust you a little bit so that they can, they feel they can say something a little bit stupid to you as as long as they temper it and then have their opinion corrected? Because that's sort of like, this is the thing I'm talking about of, of providing some space for a person to actually be able to grow and expand their worldview yeah no and so like i think i you know i i think it would be helpful for everybody to just go outside um <laughs> like it, you know but or also it, to mention a dumb idea that they're not sure about to someone with the safety in themselves that they can kind of have it corrected and not be written off as a human being you know yeah no i i guess and what i'm offering like i guess when i when i suggest that it's as a counterpoint to the to the internet experience where yeah there is there is a Pardon me. There is a premium put on how effectively hostile you can be. You know how cleverly you can burn or trounce or humiliate somebody, and there's so many mechanisms on Twitter and Facebook for, you know, putting that guy on notice or that putting that woman on display and clowning them. And I'm certainly I've been guilty of that only a few thousand times. <laughs> um, but. I, I think, you know, I think on like kind of a, a, a national and media scale, uh, I think for the most part, it's just time to promulgate uh, and articulate a set of beliefs and just start pushing that. Because when you have one hermetic narrative, you can do you can do one of two things. You can, uh, you know, tear it apart piece by piece and fact by fact, and then just keep pushing that fucking rock uphill every day and watch it roll back down and mm-hmm. just, you know start again to try to like debunk this thing that's been created mainly because it makes people feel comfortable or you can create an alternate narrative and an alternate and competing and cohesive, cohesive narrative. And the left doesn't have one. And I think on a macro scale, that's what needs to be articulated. And then on the micro day to day scale, I think people should, you know, obviously if you're Latino or Muslim and you don't want to, if you're trans, if you're, you know, uh, LGBT of any uh, Q of any sort and you don't want to go outside, fine. But for like all the white folk and, yeah. and who are relatively comfortable, join a bowling league or something or 
you don't have to go and be like you know a committed anti-fascist you can just show up and 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 chat but go to somewhere where you're not gonna expect your friends to show up and fucking a yeah i couldn't agree more with that it's and it's actually very much up to the uh, i don't know i've got complicated feelings about um uh, identity politics especially in light of the recent result but I'm going to put them to one side for a moment and say that it is up to the comfortable people which in this time and place is the white folk to really take a lead in trying to ingratiate ourselves into people's lives who normally we wouldn't and to just be friendly and cordial and exist in some spheres where we don't normally engage in and just expose ourselves more to to these other communities and it's so important for us to start inserting ourselves into other people's realms and uh, yeah just we need to be doing better out in the real world yeah do you want to take a break i think we should (laughs) um to quash our discontent and and try and fill us with hope here is the master of hope a little bit from President Obama um, giving his own sort of concession speech at the White House. Now, everybody is sad when their side loses an election. But the day after, we have to remember that we're actually all on one team. This is an intramural scrimmage. We're not Democrats first. We're not Republicans first. We are Americans first. We're patriots first. We all want want what's best for this country. That's what I heard in Mr. Trump's remarks last night. That's what I heard when I spoke to him uh, directly. And I was heartened by that. That's what the country needs. A sense of unity, a sense of inclusion, a respect for our institutions, our way of life, rule of law and a respect for each other you're back on politics a podcast about american politics hosted by two failed game show hosts i'm tim bat of the failed tv format who'll make my lunch and this is jeb lund of the briefly lived i'm out of ideas i'm sorry i'm drawing a complete blank from your failed tv game show <laughs> yeah, yeah that was the catchphrase i'm sorry so poorly. I, I, I paused for, oh, for I laughter see. after the catchphrase uh such as your Oscar-winning acting skills that I got really caught up in the bit. It's you know they said I have an extremely expressive face for radio, so it's uh, it really sold it. <laughs> um, so I, I have a I have a kind of a uh, an impromptu essay sort of plea, uh, if if you would be willing to indulge me. If I can't indulge you on your own podcast, Jeb, where can we be expected to be indulged? Please go right ahead. I, it, it's something I, I almost wrote a couple of times, and I couldn't think of a way of making it sound um, not to some degree self-pitying. But I think that if you've chosen to listen to this podcast, you probably already bought into whatever emotional roller coaster both of, uh, of us are going on. But um, like, I, I sometime in February, you know, I just started sitting at my desk at night and just sort of staring across the street there's a, a kind of marsh that across the way from me and you know trees that birds will perch on and and I, I'd sit down to write something about the election and and then I would just like snap out of it an hour later just with nothing and you know this this growing sense of futility that if I wrote something about whatever outrageous god-awful thing Donald Trump had said or done or claimed to have done today that by the time the thing published he would have already said something else equally awful that would have you know made it irrelevant and for the most part that that proved to be true of this campaign Mm. narrative you know you saw people kind of clustering after this this latest awful thing and and everybody going like oh well that that that's sunk his presidency and then he'd do something else and like by the time i think i probably mentioned on this podcast before you know we were standing around in cleveland some journalists and i and one one person said can you can you believe we, we've all almost completely forgotten that Donald Trump accused Ted Cruz's father of being a JFK assassination co-conspirator? Mm. You know, so I, these things would just sort of start weighing down and, and like eventually I, I just started like sitting on the floor and like staring at the wall 
and this is sometime in like March, <laughs> and it only got worse. And I, I, I didn't even have it nearly as, as badly as most people. I think of like my friend Dave Weigel at the Washington Post, who writes like one or two articles per day, or yeah, my friend Jesse Apoyan at the the Capital Times, who's been covering Scott Walker forever, and then had to cover you know this election. I mean, they're very dedicated, smart people who who you know kind of got down in the dumps too, and and. We basically ate shit every single day until the ele- the election, and then the thought was, now there's going to be a reprieve, and now mm. there isn't. <laughs> like it, it's uh, you know I, I don't expect people to feel a great deal of pity for for journalists. I mean, uh, I, you know, obviously it's sort of baked into our culture now that you know we think of them as sort of lazy or scum. But there are a lot of people who try really hard every day, and they they get told to go fuck themselves every day, and they get doors slammed in their face and phones slammed down, and they're blamed for being part of a conspiracy with, you know, international Jew financier George Soros to undermine American America and white people's hegemony. And they get threatened. And this was all going to lead to this moment where the fever broke. And now it's just set in for another four years. And what makes me really, really worried is that this kind of job, there are not a lot of people who can do it very well. And there are not a lot of people with a soul left who can do it very well because it's very easy to just go fuck it and punch out and start being a cynical opportunist to yeah. start parroting whatever the Washington consensus is or go for the easy money and try to become the respectable face of whatever the latest conservative uh, grotesque media, is. If you will. Uh, the, the Michael Tracy advice route, if you will. Mm. Um, and, you know, like... There aren't a lot of people who, who I think we're going to endure that that election with their spirits intact. And now we're asking four more years of work from the, uh, from them and with fewer and fewer resources. So I, like it's a complaint and like a plea I've made before. But if you don't, um, one, please subscribe to your local newspaper. Uh, and two, if you regularly consume like the Times or the Post, stop using the private window to get around the, the 10 free article limit. Mm. Um, just buy the online subscription uh, because maybe that will be enough money uh, to hire people to give everyone who just ate shit for 22 months a break yeah, or some help uh, or to replace the people who, who either quit via the natural attrition of doing this or who have effectively quit because their souls died a long time ago. Man, uh, I had not thought about this situation the way that you had just framed it. But it sounds like the similar effect of what we've projected onto Hillary Clinton, that this kind of inevitability and taking for granted that these people will be there and then just throwing so much abuse at them. And we can't take any of this stuff for granted anymore. And uh, we need to remember that behind all of these roles are human beings. And that was a really fucking good reminder, Jeb. Thanks. Uh, I mean, I get I, my my bigger thing is is, I mean, you can see it on the the reason why I thought of it is you can see it on Twitter today. People, uh, the the Trump and Kellyanne Conway and, um, you know, a few other people talking about how the New York Times is is, you know, it's almost crossing the line and it's in danger. Uh, you know, if it if it steps too far, that sort of thing. Um, mm. You know, saying like, well, now we need to subscribe to the New York Times. Now we need to subscribe to the Post. And yeah. I don't disagree with either of those. They're great newspapers. But there is so much foul shit that is going to happen to your community. And mm. there's not going to be anybody around left to watch it uh, yeah. if you don't pay for somebody to do it. Uh, so if you have a local paper and you haven't subscribed, get it. I mean, maybe get the online only one and if if you feel bad about wasting the paper or uh, mm. You know, if you're still gonna, if you're just gonna use the online subscription, you can go ahead and, and like a lot of papers have a deal where you can suspend your delivery and then they will donate it to schools. So you can get the paper, the actual paper delivery, give them the extra money, and then say, no, 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 please give it to you know a local middle school or elementary school so kids can read and yeah. learn what's going on in the world. Whatever you want to do, but do something. Do you want to end on that note because that seems like a good hopeful place to maybe drop things for the moment yeah sure i guess uh i'm not really used to doing that um 
To everyone listening, uh, usually in this podcast we've got a little bit more news and information, but I think it was important for us to just lay out how Jeb and I are feeling, and I'm sure that a lot of you are feeling similarly. Um, some of you may be listening to this and thinking uh, that we've gone a bit soft. And to those people I say, go fuck yourself. We're allowed to grieve for a week, as Jeb said. Uh, but like everyone else, we will pick ourselves back up. Um, we will start looking back at the information, at the data. We will start looking at this nightmarish proposed cabinet that Trump is evaluating at the moment in certain roles. Um, we will <laughs> pick ourselves up and start talking about the tweets that Trump is sending and the policy proposals that he's putting forward. We will look at how Paul Ryan is looking to manoeuvre um, with all three branches of government now at the Republicans' disposal. We will look at all that stuff, but I, I think, I think we were allowed I, not, one of these in life that's to, happened. Not to put words in your mouth, but I think what you're saying is four more years. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, Jeb, let's uh, do this again fairly soon. And okay. we'll have a look at all the stuff that's happening. And to, to everyone out there, I mean, it almost seems redundant. It's being said so much at the moment. But um, it's time to look after each other and yourselves as well. Uh, get enough sleep, water up, because um, we're probably going to need to be a little bit smarter and stronger than ever before. So on that note, we'll catch you next time. Thanks very much for listening. Jeb, where can we find you online? Uh, at on Twitter at uh, Mobute, M-O-B-U-T-E, or in the uh, ever-expanding detention camps growing in the eastern part of Hillsborough County. <laughs> and if I'm not put in a FEMA camp immediately, uh, you'll be able to find me at Tim underscore Bat, B-A-T-T, on Twitter. Um, and I've got a comedian page on Facebook if you want to look for that. You'll find it. Catch you next time. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye. I know how disappointed you feel because I feel it too. And so do tens of millions of Americans who invested their hopes and dreams in this effort. This is painful and it will be for a long time. But I want you to remember this. Our campaign was never about one person or even one election. It was about the country we love and about building an America that's hopeful, inclusive, and big-hearted. We have seen that our nation is more deeply divided than we thought. But I still believe in America, and I always will. And if you do, then we must accept this result and then look to the future.